Would you open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 5? Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, what we uh, have been doing is we looked last couple of weeks at the process of thing dealing with the high priest. And now we're going to just, the, um, Paul makes a, a little break here and he sticks this in as he continues that discussion. So we wanted to pick that up. So that last two weeks, if you didn't get it, you can go on to our website and pick that up. Which, incidentally, we are delighted that we're going to start live streaming our services. And so we are really excited that that will happen because we have people who watch our services from all over the world. Okay, Hebrews chapter 5, would you pick up, beginning with verse 11, please, with you. Verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Like, I tried to tell them, but they wouldn't listen, you know, type of thing. <laughs> and I'm looking at this, they go, oh, my lands, oh, my lands. In fact, he goes on, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who still lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. And we could add, meaning the teaching of the gospel, the fullness of the gospel. But solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And I would ask you the question, am I mature enough to take this now? Say, am I following enough long in the truth? Well, some of us have been a long time. Well, they have as well. They've been people that, and now he's saying, very good. Are you mature enough? Are you going to be able to handle this, which watch is coming? And he makes this very pointed, very pointed remark to that. Now, it is in truth, it is in truth that we tend to shun doctrine because it divides. So, we're always looking in, particularly in our society around us today, well, we, you know, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, right? You can talk about The Bachelor, but you can't talk about, can't talk about religion or politics. That's kind of off limits. Or if we say, well, we just agree to disagree, uh, agree to disagree, or perhaps we just say, well, you have your beliefs, I have mine, da, 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 and don't worry about it, we don't talk about it, blah, 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 blah. And goes on. We have that. I was reading in the interpreter's Bible, and it was making this, perhaps such modesty reflects the uncertainty, the loss of conviction that characterized the church today. Most laymen are openly embarrassed by the opportunity to express their religious convictions. The force of hostile skepticism is everywhere present, and the church people prefer not to risk their faith in open argument. In absence of knowledge, they have proposed to have faith as a substitute, meaning by it, and the interpretation is widespread, the belief that certain doctrines are true. This is a provision, provision of the New Testament faith, which always carries the sense of trust, that is, complete commitment to Christ. The danger, then, is twofold. The weakening of conviction and the intellectualization of faith. Wow, as I read that, oh, my word. Oh, my word, we 
You know, maybe my hesitance is because I'm, I'm not being bold enough. I, my commitment. My commitment, well, yeah, I'm committed, yeah. I remember I was sitting in church um, listening to a Baptist pastor, and he had, had a deal where he had his lapel, says, we're Christians in secret, and he kind of like a secret agent, and he flashed his lapel like he had a badge underneath it or something, you know, going around, we're kind of keep everything low-key. In reality, we live, we live in a world that emphasizes math and science. And we look at that, and it's very important. Over at the school, I notice when I'm over at our school, the importance of teaching math and science, the raising of that importance and the discovery and the use of using. In fact, I know that there are projects that our children do for math and science, and they make their boards, and they have to go to the science fairs, and they have uh, hypotheses and what they think they're going to do. They do an experiment, and they write up what happens. And so we live in a world like that. And so our world is dominated by that, but the Bible wasn't written in the bio, in math and science world. Yes, they had math. Yes, they had. But it was not the same. The Bible was not written in that context. It was written in a different kind of context and a different kind of world. Now, I'm going to show you a man's picture, and uh, it's not a political statement of any kind, please. Okay. So this week, this week you may have um, been following the State of the Union address, or you heard that Rush Limbaugh has stage four cancer of the lung. And this is not a political thing at all. Okay, so... So whether you like him or not, that's up to you. However, he is a national figure known across our country that he's on a radio host and lots of people, millions of people listen to him every day, Monday through Friday, listen to Rush. And so as they listen to him, which is often kind of interesting, that they get a, a relationship, they think in their mind, of that they know Rush. You know? They know him. Well, I've heard him on the radio. I listen to him all the time. I listen to his jokes, listen to him talk, blah, 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 blah. So I know him because of what my observation is. So almost using a scientific method, I take what I see, what I hear, and therefore I draw a conclusion about this person. Is it possible that that could be wrong? It is possible that it could be wrong. And so sometimes we see personalities up on the stage, including pastors. I remember a pastor who was very outgoing, very outgoing as a up on the platform when he was preaching, and it was so warm and caring. But when you saw him, he was incredibly shy. He could hardly talk. You know? So... The point I would like to make is the point out of scriptures is that we don't live in a math and science world, but we live in a world in which if you're going to know somebody, you have to know them personally. You have to really interact with them personally. And that's the drawback of having our stage and TV and radio, even as with Rush, that we cannot really get to know him personally by through a media, but we would know him if we were in one-to-one relationships with him and get acquainted with him. 
So it is important to understand that in the context of what is being said here in Hebrews and what is being context. So the milk, going beyond the milk of the word, going beyond that, going into maturity, would then invite us to look at a relationship with Jesus beyond just the scientific way, well, I saw it in the book, I read, blah, 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 blah. Hebrews chapter 6. Go right into the next chapter, because the thought continues on. Therefore, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary truths about Christ, verse 1. What are the elementary teachings? Well, I can think of a lot of, a lot of them, and I say, well, the elementary teachings are the first 13, uh, the 13 uh, fundamental beliefs that we have, the 13 that are important for baptism. We say that's important. But it's important for us to understand what Paul was saying, what Paul was saying, and he shares that with us. He gives to us what the elementary, the elementary teachings are. The very, very bottom. This will be the milk, he is saying. This is the milk. Therefore, he says, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken, therefore, to maturity, forward to maturity, not laying, again, the foundation of repentance for acts that lead to death and of faith in God. So the first two elementary teachings that he mentions is, one, repentance, and two, having trust or faith in God. That would be the very basic thing. And certainly we would say that in order to come to God, there must be repentance. There must be a trust in him. We say, yes, that's some of the elementary teachings. But he goes on in verse 2 and making the point, I'm stuck here. Why didn't I go? Somehow I didn't go. Next slide. Thank you. Instructions about cleansing rites. Instructions about cleansing rites and the laying on of the hands the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So now he rounds those out to say baptism, that was the cleansing rite that they were talking about, laying on of the hands, giving your blessing and setting you aside, the healing part of that, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. All of these are themes that are out of the Old Testament. You can pick every one of those, come out of the Old Testament themes. But there's also, none of them particularly are repeatable. Come to repentance. Come to have faith in God. Come to have the cleansing, the baptism. All those tend to be one time, not repeatable. Because he says, once for all, once for all time, priestly sacrifice of Christ is what's coming. He did one time for all of us. So we have all those elementary teachings. These, he said, is the least. This is the milk. This is the milk of it. So why is he mentioning this to them? Why is he bringing this up? Because there is a problem. And the problem that they're having, the problem that they're dealing with in the time that he's writing to these Jewish people who have become Christian, is he's writing to them, he said, they were content, they were content with what they had been brought to over from Judaism. They were done. Kind of do that. Kind of done. Yeah, we, we got it, we got it. Be content with what you have, and that's it. And no need to look any further. And he says, and God permitted. God permitting, we will do so. We will take you beyond the elementary teachings. So he's setting us up. 
Now, the next few verses we have to be careful with. Because the next few verses are often terribly misunderstood. And I want us to be careful as we handle God's word here that we don't run amok here. Verse 4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. We're going to stop right there. Stop right there. So he mentions these talking about those who have once been enlightened. The light often mentioned in scripture is the light is meaning the light of truth. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That theme runs through the New Testament, Old Testament as well. But that enlightenment, that enlightenment part. So once, once for all men enter, once for all men enter into Christianity, it is an experience which, like their own death and the death of Jesus, can never be repeated. You never have a repeat of that first acceptance of Christ. That first newborn experience, you have it once. Doesn't mean you don't have other experiences that come along after that. But that initial calling, that initial acceptance of Christ is not repeatable. So that enlightenment that has come and going. So once they have been enlightened, once they are going, once they have had that enlightenment of the light of Christ into them and coming, it has brought them up into certain deal. And so these folks, he's talking about, these folks have received it. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They Maybe some of them spoke in tongues. We don't know. We do know that what he was talking about is these folks had originally embraced it all, and now they were going back. And he says, makes the comment about them, what are they really doing? And they have fallen away to be brought back to rents. They cannot be done. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So what are they talking about there? Crucifying the Lord all over again. Now, we often apply it, well, they're falling away, or your sins are crucifying the Lord. This is not what it's talking about. He's talking to Jewish people who there, many of them may have been at the cross. And it was the Jewish people who put them on the cross. Yes, the Romans did the act, but it was the Jews who brought Christ to the attention and begged for him to be crucified. And so that discussion happening to the Jews, we do not want to rush ahead rush ahead and say, oh, that applies to anyone who's having trouble and is struggling. Some say, well, it's the impardonable sin. The impardonable sin is someone is looking to Christ and still thinking about it. They are not, have not committed the impardonable sin. And when the impardonable sin happens, that means you don't want it anyway. So when I was taking pastoral training at Pacific Union College, um, Carl uh, Kaufman was my instructor, and he was talking about what happened in a series of evangelistic meetings he was having. And he, he was having this series and going, and this man and his wife were coming, and they were convicted and convicted and kept coming, and this man was troubling, and they were making a call. 
and um, to come forward to accept Christ as their Savior. And he, he was troubled about it, and you could see the frown on his face. His wife went forward. He didn't know what to do, what he wanted to do. And he walked out, out of the uh, building. He walked out of the building and looked up at the sky and said, God, just leave me alone. And God did. Instantly, he never had any desire after that that I know of. He made his decision. Leave me alone. Don't want your spirit bugging me. And it happened. But when a person is saying, well, I've been troubled, I've fallen away, so coming back, that's not the same thing. Not the same thing. Even though, verse 9, if we're jumping down to verse 9, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you, he says, we want each of you to show this same diligence in the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you, we do not want you to become lazy like we were talking about is clinging to the milk, to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And the question I leave with you today is, are you ready to move beyond the elementary things? And you may think, well, how serious a question is that? It is a serious question. We live in a world, and I have been astonished by what's going on in our world around us. Have you not? This week, this week are just kind of, wow, what next is going to be rolling our way? And so that process, that things that are happening in the world, are we ready to go beyond just a shallow understanding? Just, just, the, just the basics, you know, all you need to do is believe in Jesus and have faith and go home. Just, is there more to that? And why would we be, why would we be interested in going and doing more of that? Why would we be interested in, in pursuing deeper than just the elementary truths? Because it builds our relationship with Christ. Because it helps us to get to know him. That's why. That's why I read the scriptures, because we're getting to know him. That's why I love to look in the Bible, and when I'm reading in the Old or New Testament, I'm always looking for Jesus. So I'm reading the scriptures, I'm looking, where is Jesus here? And no matter the story or whatever, show me Jesus. And it's amazing and stunning as we read that to find that we can open it up and find it all through the Bible, finding Jesus, page after page. And so I want to look for that deeper relationship so that I can may know him. Not just have a scientific look and say, yes, I see how the atonement work. I see how the other way. I want to know the Savior. And I want to have a relationship with him. That's the second part of it as well. And so we as a people need to be the people of the book. We need to be the people of the book. Today in this world, I remember when I was first, Adventists really knew their Bibles. That's kind of fading away because we're busy. We got other things that are happening, going on. We don't know our Bibles like we used to. But we need to. We need to understand our scriptures and study them. We need to read them. 
I would invite you to become a person of the book. To open your Bible. Take some time every day. Just read a little. So I don't have a lot of time. Well, five minutes. Take five minutes. Take ten minutes just to read. Say, Lord, where are you? Just, just do it. You'll be surprised how enriching that will be. How great that will be for you. So today, what's happened is that Paul's setting enough to say, all right, what follows now? What's coming now in Hebrews will be going beyond the milk. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this challenge that Paul gives to us in Hebrews here that we, we need to move beyond just the milk. Oh, we love the milk. We love the simple, simple truths. Things that bring us together. But Lord, we also need to look deeper to know you. And by searching the great truths, we can have you reveal to us in greater form, in a greater way. I challenge you to challenge us, Lord, to find time to spend time in your word that we may know you as our Savior and Lord on a deeper and personal level. In Jesus' precious name, amen.